0: <laughs> that's thinking too highly. I? Yeah. Hey, well today, if you didn't notice because of the banners, uh, we are starting a new series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's based on a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. Now, I've got a few co- extra copies here. A couple of you picked up some, but if you're interested and you like to read, you can pick these up for 15 bucks. Um, they're just a helpful guide to walk through some of the material we'll be going through this over this series now in this message I'm going to be drawing from his book and from another guy named Pete Hughes he's one of the pastors that I had a chance to meet when I had that trip to London a couple of years ago now what's this whole series about it is about opening ourselves up our whole selves up to God so that we may become the people that he wants us to become think of this as an opportunity for us To open our whole hearts to the person of Jesus. Now this book, it tells a story of of Pete, of him being a pastor in a city in the States who took following Jesus seriously. He wanted to pray regularly, to spend time reading scripture, to practice different spiritual disciplines, and yet he realized something was off. He realized that he often neglected his emotional well-being, so his church was in crisis, his, emo- his marriage was messy, uh, his whole emotional like life, he was disconnected from it. He couldn't recognize what was going on. And he realized that his discipleship and spirituality hadn't really addressed his insecurities and understanding of himself. And that if he was going to actually live in the freedom Jesus wanted for him, then he would have to learn how to feel and distinguish between thinking and feeling and distinguish his God-given desires from simply the desires that others had for him. Hence, the title or subtitle of the book, It's Impossible to be Spiritually Mature While Remaining Emotionally Immature. Now, our key verse for the series, if we wanted to have one, would come from John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. And here's the tension that you and I may feel in life is that many of us believe this promise of Jesus, but we realize that we're not actually living in it. That there's this promise that exists and yet there's a gap between his promise and our reality. This gap between what we feel, what we walk through, what we live in in our lives, and then what we hear Jesus saying, like life to the full, life abundance. And so rather than experiencing this abundance, our all too common experience is a life filled with low grade anxiety. We'll carry with us these series of disappointments related to unfulfilled promises of our jobs, relationships that are strained or have failed, wounds that we've experienced that remain unresolved. And so instead of abundance, we feel this gap. And that gap feels empty. It feels confusing. And that confusion often leads us to doubt that that promise is really available, and in particular, really available for us. And so, one of the things we want for the series is actually to close that gap. To close that gap. And the way that happens is by opening our hearts fully to Him, by learning to recognize our emotions, because it's in that place that we're going to encounter God. So this morning, today's guiding passage comes from John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. This is what it says. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son Jesus, and we ask that that today we would hear from you. That we'd have ears to hear, hearts to respond. And that we would live the life and experience the life that you've intended for us. So right now, we just quiet all the other voices, other things going on in our minds. And we say that we are here to hear from you. Have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus interrupts this festival that's going on in this moment, and he announces that anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is hurting, anyone who is disappointed with life, who longs for rescue, for salvation, that there's something available in him, to come to him and drink. Because if you believe in me, he'll say, out of your heart will flow streams of living water. Now this story of scripture, it starts with a river. In the Garden of Eden, when God creates, there is a garden that runs through the garden, a river that runs through the garden. And it, we're told it flows north, south, east, west. And wherever that river is flowing, there is flourishing, there is life. And if you know the end of the story of the Bible in Revelation, there is a river that runs from the very presence, from the throne of God, that runs right through the city. And here in this middle, in the middle of the story of the Bible, is Jesus. And it's right in the gap where God's people are living that he comes and says this message to them. The Jewish people, they weren't living in abundance. They were drowning in their sin. They weren't living in freedom. They were oppressed by the Roman Empire at the time. They were paying heavy taxes to the Romans. They weren't free. They found themselves even under a heavy religious burden at the time. Now after the fall of humanity in the garden, God continued to speak through his prophets, but when Jesus arrived, there had been a silence. This 400 years of silence where no new prophets had been raised up and there was nothing that had been revealed to God's people. And here in this feast that God's people are celebrating, that's meant to help God's people look forward to the future and coming salvation, where they would experience God save them. They they would have been praying, God, rescue us, save us, come Lord. And it's here. Where Jesus comes and says to them, anyone who comes to me and drinks will experience this life, this river flowing from their hearts. Not today, not, sorry, not tomorrow, not in a distant future, but now, now come to me, and these streams of living water will flow from your heart. Now, one of the things about the word heart that's different than how we understand it is, In the Bible, it's not talking about your physical organ, the heart that's beating, pumping blood throughout your body. It is a metaphor for the center of who you are. It's like the control center of your emotions and your thoughts and your will and your desire. So it's not simply just what you may feel. It's more than that. And anyone, Jesus says, who believes in me will experience these streams of living water, life-giving water, renewing water, flow into the very center of their being. If you give God access, he will bring new life to you. And he wants the streams of living water to flow to you. One of the questions we have to ask is, even if you identify as a follower of Jesus, is have you given him access? Have you given him access to your heart? See, the goal... Of This message is not simply just to go after your mind, to go after all of you, your heart. And if you know me, if you've been around long enough, you'll know that my tendency is actually to speak to our minds, to want to engage with the different thought processes at work in our culture, in our church, or even ourselves. But we're going after the heart because this is what Jesus is after. Come to me and you will experience this renewing work in your heart. The salvation that Jesus wants to bring is this holistic salvation it's not spirit just spiritual it is that but it's more than that there's a fuller sense to that word to that idea of salvation in the Bible and there's this uh, uh, Latin American theologian his name is Justo Gonzalez who says this uh, talking about the word salvation and the way it gets translated out of Greek into English He says the words that today we translate as saving salvation and Savior can have and often do have several meanings These meanings include liberating from oppression, liberating from the power of death, restoring health, and so on. Therefore, upon encountering the word soteria, which is is the noun for salvation, translators have to decide whether to render it as salvation or as healing, for there is no single word in English that includes both meanings. Taking all this into account, as we examine in the first gospel of Luke and then in the book of Acts, he'll say we shall see that when when in these books we find that word salvation, it refers not only to what we today understand as salvation, but may also refer to the restoration of health, to liberation from an enemy or a threat, or to the reclaiming of what properly belongs to God. So it's much more holistic when we're talking about this idea of salvation. And so Jesus, he wants to bring salvation from sin. He wants to save us, to rescue us from our sin. He wants to save us from sickness. He wants to heal someone. He wants to forgive. And it's that word, salvation. When he forgives, it's using that word of salvation. When he liberates people from demonic oppression, it's that same word. The goal and the prayer is that you and I, all of us, would actually experience more of God's salvation that Jesus has come to bring how it's by continuously opening up our lives every part of our hearts to Jesus now our our church in our community there are people who are walking through pain through grief losses disappointments confusion and the way that we deal with our pain matters How we deal with it will actually set our trajectory for our lives. God has designed all of our bodies to respond physiologically to those things around us. And our bodies and our emotions are entwined. Our bodies, they function like this minor prophet, letting us know what's going on. And we need to give attention to it. And so our sleepless nights or the knot in your stomach, that release of adrenaline into your bloodstream when someone asks, can we talk about this? The headaches, the muscle tension, they may be more than simply just being out of sleep, uh, you know, out of shape, sorry, or not sleeping well. It could be something else, something we haven't been tending to. Some of us may experience this physical sickness because we're actually emotionally unwell, that something hasn't been tended to. And God's way of speaking to us can be actually through our emotions, and we can't just ignore them or dismiss them. But if we honest with ourselves, we actually do that. There are certain emotions that we actually want to block off. We are like this character Joy in the movie Inside Out. How many of you have seen that movie? Yes, thank you. So. You see five different characters behind me, right? Green one's disgust, ew, Uh, right? You got like fear being purple, got sadness, sigh over here, Uh, and you got joy saying yay, and then right in the middle, you got the temper tantrum, anger. And so um, Joy likes to maintain control, the control center, you could say, of the main character named Riley in the movie. And she directs all the other emotions telling them what to do to ensure that Riley has a happy day one morning as they're all getting started up Riley's just woken up so they're getting going Uh, joy starts telling them what to do and she says hey sadness come here I have a special job for you and so sadness gets excited Andrew, there's another slide you can just move to and so joy starts to draw this little circle around sadness and Sadness is like what are you doing joy Says to her, next slide, and there, perfect. This is the circle of sadness. Sadness is still a little bit confused, so Joy continues If you go to the next slide. She says, your job is to make sure all the sadness stays in that circle. That was her only job for the whole day. Really, Joy would have been happy to have that be her job for her whole existence. We do that. With emotions that we don't know what to do with. We draw a circle around and say, don't, don't you step out of that circle. Don't do that. You're not welcome here. And And it happens for a variety of reasons. Some of us might be afraid of sadness or anger. We grew up in families where certain emotions you just weren't allowed to express. You weren't allowed to show them. You weren't allowed to perhaps, it could be Crying, It could be anger. It could even just be this joyful giddiness. You just weren't allowed to be overly expressive. And it may not have been even your your parents or your grandparents. It could have been a social group that had a lot of influence over you. But here's what it means for you if this is how you've lived. That emotion, whatever it is, is just hard to process now. It's hard to recognize when you feel that way. It's hard to know that you're actually feeling it. It's hard to articulate it to yourself, let alone to others. And here's the thing though, speaking from experience, others see it in you, but they don't, but you don't actually know how to articulate. And so Lindsay will be like, you seem kind of anxious right now. And I'm like, oh, I was just starting to wonder if I was feeling anxious. But she's been knowing that I've been behaving in an anxious way for a while, way, way before that's actually been articulated. For all of us, we might be, it might be something different, but there are emotions, certain things that we don't know what to do with. And so we try to just keep them away from ourselves. We try to actually bury those emotions, and that is not the way that we were meant to live. That's not the way even Jesus shows us He lives. See the Bible is full of descriptions of God revealing Himself as a God who feels. And humanity has been made in the image of God, a God who has emotions be to be emotional is not uh, isn't just human it's divine God displays emotions and we see that so clearly in the person of Jesus we see in him what God is like and he was in touch with his emotions he didn't suppress them he wasn't ruled by them but he allowed himself to feel Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus he laughed he told jokes he got angry he overthrew tables in the temple as he saw people turning this place that was meant to be a place of prayer into a place where people weren't even able to worship jesus was betrayed he felt what it was like to be betrayed he felt sorrow in the garden of death's enemy he felt rejection at the cross jesus reveals to us this perfect union between god and humanity he shows us what god is like but he also shows us what humanity was meant to be like and he did not repress his emotions And desires, nor did he just unleash them and do whatever he felt like. He lived life in constant relationship with God the Father, bringing all of his desires, all of his emotions, these experiences of life to the Father. And so the constant experience of Jesus' life was one of basking in this awareness of his Father's great love for him, in his sorrow and in his joy. And that's what enabled him to trust his Father, and so if, we, you, if you and I, if we're going to be able to be fully alive, we have to be in touch with our emotions. They must be part of what we actually bring to him, not ignoring them. There's this movie, it's a French movie called Jean de Florette, and it tells the story of, the, of this hunchback who inherits a farm. Jean has this vision to turn the farm that he inherits into a beautiful, flourishing, and profitable farm. John spends all of his time, energy, and resources trying to bring this vision to fruition. And initially, he actually sees profit, a small profit. Over time though, instead of flourishing, John's crops and animals begin to die because there is no water. And this naturally fed artesian well that is on his his land dries up because there's no rain. So John has to go to these great distances taking a donkey loaded up with buckets to try to get water just to water his farm. But it's never enough. And so eventually, everything dies. John refuses to give up, though. And so what John continues to do is find a way to get water. And believing that there is water underground in his land, he buys dynamite. He actually mortgages the farm to buy dynamite to uncover the water there. But in the very first blast, he's hit by a flying rock, and he falls into the cavity, and eventually he dies of his injuries. This is like a tragic film. Okay? Like, you're like, I don't want to watch it. I don't blame you. But this tragic story is made worse by the fact that there was a stream running through that land the whole time. It had just been blocked up by some evil men who wanted to steal Jean's inheritance for themselves. And so they were actually trying to undermine all that he was trying to do. And I think there is a metaphor here for us. That Jesus says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from your heart. And God's vision for our lives is that we would be able to swim in the love that he has for us. And it is through His Holy Spirit that we are enabled to do that in our lives. But the river of God's Spirit is often blocked up so that we don't experience what our inheritance from Jesus was meant to be. And what Jesus wants to do is to begin to remove these obstacles that have been blocking up that river so that it would flow freely. He wants to gently come and point out what the blockages are, and then with our participation, begin to remove them. So what are some of these blockages that he would want to deal with in our lives so that we can experience this life that he wants for us? Well, one, really simply, Jesus wants to remove sin. Big surprise. Jesus wants to remove sin. Sin gradually desensitizes us to God. The Holy Spirit works in our life, prompting us to the way of Jesus. Often speaking to our conscience, it's, sometimes it's actually to pursue good. Other times it's warnings, hey, don't pursue that. Don't take that path. You know where it leads and it's never good. And yet we keep, when we keep ignoring that voice and pursuing that, we're suppressing, numbing ourselves to God's work in our lives. Sin is living without reference to God. Sin deadens your heart to God. And because sin is more than just a failure to love God and love others, it's also our, our ability to deceive ourselves and to spin our bad decisions into good ones. And what Jesus wants to do is remove all sin from your life. God can make you aware of it, but you actually need to turn from it and pursue Him. You have to acknowledge and confess it. And when do you do, the river of life that God wants begins to flow more freely into your life. You'll experience for his forgiveness, but also this renewing work in your life. Peter will call some of the first Christians in Acts chapter 3 to turn and put their trust in Jesus. And he says, and so that times of refreshing may come. There is something that comes from repentance, that act of turning away from the direction you were going in and turning towards him, that actually leads to this renewing work in your life. Jesus also wants to reconnect us to our emotions. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he want to reconnect us to our emotions? It's because ignored emotions create a blockage to the transformation that he wants to work in you. For some of us, we have stunted our growth because we have been ignoring emotions. We've been holding on to bitterness, but... Not thinking about how we're bitter towards this person. I don't want to, I'm not going to give them energy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give any of that stuff. I'm not going to think about it, except that anytime they come to mind or they come into your presence, you feel it. Still there, it's just you're trying to keep it in the circle and it keeps trying to hop out. Sadness, stay there. You haven't forgiven them. These emotions just remained buried and what you're actually doing is burying a part of you part of yourself. Our emotions are like this internal dashboard for life, and you can't ignore them. They let you know that something isn't right, that, you need, that something is off, and you need to pay attention to it. And so ignoring our emotions actually stunts our growth as disciples of Jesus. They put a block on the grace God wants to show you. It hinders the work the Spirit wants to do in you. You need to allow yourself to experience the full weight of your feelings. There's these guys Dan Allender and Temper Longman, they write this book called The Cry of the Soul, and they say this. They say, ignoring our emotions is turning our back, not out back, but our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear. Through emotional denial, distortion or disengagement, we strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. One of the things that can happen when we go through significant pain is we numb ourselves. You distract yourself. And and part of that on a short-term level is actually really helpful. But the thing is is that that's not a helpful long-term plan, not a helpful long-term way to live. And some of us during 2020 found short-term ways to cope through pain. But now those things that were helpful are actually destructive. Some of us found things that while we were going through very traumatic experiences really helpful, they're not helping us anymore. And so we keep feeling them come out in relationships with others. And we don't experience the flourishing that God wants for us. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to bring you into this new life. I want you to experience a new season, but it cannot happen unless we actually go and remove that block. So if you want to change, you have to allow yourself to feel these emotions before God. And one of the ways you can begin to participate in this, one way you can do this is by practicing silence before God. And I know I've had, one of you have told me like, yeah, you know what? I don't like silence. I just don't enjoy that. I'm good with like some of the other practices. Silence is not for me. So that's why I'm just saying two minutes. You can put on a timer. Wait for the alarm to go off and just sit there in pain if you have to. But it can be better than that. Sit before God in silence and allow whatever emotions to come up and then acknowledge those very feelings before God. And you can ask yourself, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling that way? If it's anxiety, why am I feeling anxious? Like, what is at the heart of it? Allowing yourself to go there instead of saying, stay in the circle. And then praying, Lord, what, what would you want me to know? And you may not actually hear something in that moment, and it may be in a conversation as you share with someone else or something, that you begin to get clarity. But don't just ignore that. I just want to give you some beginning of a pathway to begin acknowledging some of these emotions that may be there that we try to ignore or cover up. Because in that place of truth, the truth of God's love and his sovereignty, you can begin to have God actually speak his love, his grace to you into those fears. The third thing Jesus wants to do is he actually wants to reconnect us with the desires of our hearts. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not just saying like any desires. There are desires that come from God. These are desires that are healthy, that bring life, flourishing, that goodness and truth. But here's what has happened in many of us. Some of us have given in to other people's desires for our lives for so long that we don't even recognize that we've been living someone else's life. And it feels hard to consider that maybe there's another way. Some of us, without intending, have prioritized our careers or our other relationships or our education above Jesus for so long that we're out of touch with our God-given desires that he put in there when we first started walking with him. And see, disordered priorities are this blockage to the life that God wants you to experience. And so if someone were to come to you and ask you, hey, what are the longings in your heart? Like, what are the deep desires? You'd say, I don't know. I don't know. Someone would say, well, what what does your heart say? Oh, you'd say, I have no idea. I haven't listened for a while. I haven't been listening. I'm out of touch. Uh, I don't know. And then you'd say, I think. And you'd begin to go into that place. The renewed heart that jesus wants for us can easily become calloused and cold when we have these disordered priorities in our life and jesus wants to come and soften that heart once again to breathe new life into it saint augustine once wrote how can you draw close to god when you are far from your own self and some of us have been in that place and so he prayed, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee, that I may know you. And it, I know this isn't in my notes, but I, when I was 19, I had a, a moment in my life where it was so clear to me I did not know who I was, that I, I didn't really know God, but I also didn't really know myself. And I felt this, like, hunger, to know God, but also to begin to know who I was, who he said I was. And what can happen in our lives, is, yeah, that, that's like for me as a 19-year-old, very easily through all the other responsibilities of life, we begin to have other things just replace God in terms of the priority. And so then we come to a point where we actually do identify with that question, like I can't actually answer what I want. I don't know because I've been so disconnected. And Jesus wants to actually breathe his life into you so that you could hear what he says about you who he made you to be not what other people say you need to be but who he says you were made to be grant Lord that I may know myself and that I may know thee fourth Jesus wants to connect you with trusted friends an isolated life is a blockage too to the life that Jesus wants to give you. All of us know what it's like to have friends that fail us. Most of us know what it is like to have someone to confide in, someone who's listened to you, who's stuck with you, who's been committed to you. Those are, that's a gift in your life. Jesus actually wants us to be able to share our lives with others because we have this ability, all of us, we're really good at it, have this ability to deceive ourselves. So, it's so great within us that without mature and trusted friends in our lives, we easily fall into this life of living in lies. Now, you don't need to share your life with everybody, but you do need some trusted people, some trusted companions for the journey of transformation that Jesus wants for you. Friends who will tell you the truth. Friends who will stick with us even when we make dumb decisions. Friends who care about seeing us become who God intended us to be. You need that. If you want another movie example, because we're just on a roll today, in the Lord of the Rings, in the Two Towers, Gandalf comes to Theoden, and he has been having the worm tongue speak all these lies into him, such that the guy looks like he's going to just, like, croak right there on his throne. And Gandalf comes to him and begins to say, all the, like, speak truth to Theoden, about who he is, and he, he grabs his sword, Theoden's sword, and he's like, maybe you'd remember yourself better if you held your sword. And I think we need friends who will be willing to confront and speak truth to us, but with this commitment that they're not going to abandon us, that they're doing it because they know who we are, and they want to actually see us become the people God intended for us to be. You cannot become who Jesus actually envisions you to be without others in your life just doesn't work that way. And so some of you are like, "Uh, that sounds great, but I don't have that. The beauty of who God is is that he loves to provide. And that you can actually say, Lord, I don't feel like I have that in my life right now, but I want that. Could you lead me and provide that for me? And it gives him great, great joy to do that. Fifth, Jesus wants to remove all that would inhibit you from experiencing his love. He wants to remove all that would inhibit you from experiencing his love. And the way that Jesus wants us to experience this on a regular basis for his people is actually through communion. It's in this meal, this table of mercy, It's a place where we encounter Jesus. He longs to meet with his people, with you. He says, anyone who is thirsty, come and drink, come to me. You can come to Jesus. And this table that he prepares for us is not a table for those who have been perfectly faithful, those who are perfectly aware of their emotions, who live in touch with them, who have never drawn a circle over a certain emotion. That's not the table that he has. This is a table for those who are thirsty to be made right, who are thirsty and hungry to be made whole, who long to be healed. Jesus says, come and believe in me, and these rivers of living water will flow out from your heart. So if you identify as a